This podcast contains adult language and content. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 8, Episode 4 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. When I was growing up, my family used to spend a lot of time at my grandparents' house, staying the night pretty often. My grandparents, being avid campers, owned a camp trailer that they kept parked on a slab in their backyard. When we would stay the night, we children would sleep on the floor in the living room, and our mom would sleep in the camp trailer. One time, we went to stay at their house, but my grandparents weren't there. I don't remember why. My older siblings and I were alone in the house while our mother, who worked the graveyard shift, went to get some sleep out in the trailer before she had to get up. My sister, the oldest, was about 15 or 16 at this time, which would put my brother and I at around 13 and 10, respectively. My sister would often watch us while my mom was working, and she was tasked with waking up my mom at a certain time just in case the alarm didn't wake her. So we were in the house just watching TV, and my sister got up to wake my mom. A moment later, she came back into the house, looking very scared. She looked at my brother and asked if we were here the entire time. Now he was confused, but said yes, and I vouched for him. He was sitting on the couch the entire time, She said that when she went out, she saw a dark, shadowy figure hiding behind a lounge chair on the patio. Thinking it was our brother, she said, Come on, quit it. You're scaring me. The figure said nothing, but pushed the chair forward, making a loud skidding sound on the concrete as they stood up. She ran back inside, where, after realizing that it wasn't our brother, We turned on every light, locked the doors, and cranked the music. Our childhood minds thought that this was the right idea. A little while later, my mom comes to the sliding glass window. We unlocked it and let her in. We told her what had happened, and she was shocked, also a little angry, that we locked her out with the intruder. Then she went pale as she realized something. She looked at my sister and said, Did you come to the trailer? My sister said no. She never even made it to the trailer because she got scared. My mom said that she woke up with her alarm, but was laying still in bed, and she felt the trailer sink, like when someone steps onto the step in front of the trailer door. She assumed that it was my sister and yelled, It's okay, I'm awake. And then the trailer shifted again, as if the person stepped off the step. My mom eventually got up and came in to find us. She was neurotic and shaken. 
but learned that our visitor almost surprised her in the dark trailer. Backyard Creeper, let's not meet. I'm a 23-year-old guy. I've been dating my now wife for four years before this story. We'll call her Jane. I'm not that tall. I'm only about 5'6", but I do have a build. This story takes place about five months back in Michigan. My fiancé and I were visiting her family for her father's birthday. She got a text from someone that she had dated in the past but broke it off because she just wanted to be friends with him. But he went ahead and said something along the lines of, I saw you walking in town, and I wanted to say hi, but I noticed you were with family. I'm free tomorrow. Would you like to grab some drinks and catch up? I told her that if she wanted to, she could, but I would have to go with her because I don't know the guy, and I don't know if she'll be safe. And I'm glad that I did. The next day comes around, and we meet up with him at a bar. When he saw her, he walked up and gave her a kiss on the cheek which really set me off, but I decided to ignore it for now. He saw me hovering behind her. I'm sorry, can I help you? He said. I was about to say something when Jane popped in and said, uh, That's my fiancé. I hope you don't mind, but he wanted to tag along. He then gave me a nasty look and said with a little bit of hesitancy, Yeah, nice to meet you. He then started for the bar and we followed. After a little bit of them talking and him changing the subject, after I tried to say something, he all of a sudden says, Remember all the great sex we used to have? And if there was a gold star that I could give Jane for being a dick, I would have given it to her right then and there. She said, Just because it was great for you doesn't mean it was great for the other party. Then rolled her eyes. Now based on what he said after that, I'm surprised I didn't kill him right then and there. Maybe I should have used more force, he said with a disgusting, evil look. Right then and there I gave him the you're fucking dead look. And all of a sudden his face turned into this smile. I think it's time for some drinks. What do you guys think? He said. I ordered a soda because I was the designated driver. She ordered a vodka tonic. After a while, he showed back up with the drinks. And of course, he was a prick and got my drink wrong. But I still drank it. Jane had about two drinks and said that she was feeling a bit drowsy. So, I thought that they had some pretty strong vodka because she's not usually a lightweight. So I told the ex that it was time for us to leave. He was insisting that we stay for more drinks and ran to get more. I was about to get her up and start the car, but he got the drinks and set hers right in front of her. And her being the nice person that she is, said that she could do one more. She tried to drink it as fast as she could, but the bartender seemed to have put too much vodka and not enough tonic. Even though she had some difficult, she still did it pretty fast, and we were out. 
But right before we left, I looked back at him. He had this pissed-off look. The next day, she said she wanted to go to the ER because she needed to take a test. The docs came back and said that they found traces of the roofie drug. They said that it was probably the reason she was drowsy. I was livid. She knew it was him and started to text him. I suggested that we go to the cops, but she told me not to. After that, she blocked him because he started saying things like, I didn't do shit, maybe it was him, referring to me. We decided to go back to her parents' house. I thought it was going to be over, but it only gets worse. About five afters after blocking him, she gets a text from a different number, saying how he wished he could assault her, and how she's a heartbreaking slut that deserves to have her throat slit. But like the dumbasses we were, we ignored it. Later that night, I was awoken by a bang. I jolted up and looked around. Nothing. I grabbed my phone, and I looked to see that the time is now 3.30 a.m. I thought that it was probably just my dreams, and I went to lay back down, facing Jane. When I looked at her, I decided to kiss her cheek. And I didn't know that she was awake. But she whispered in my ear, He's right behind you. He accidentally kicked the bed and fell on the floor when you jolted up. I think he's under us. Now I've watched a lot of horror movies. And I always think, Oh, I could get out of this, or I could have done better than that. But I never thought I would be in a horror scenario. My heart sank. I held her close and I whispered, everything's going to be fine. I grabbed a knife that I keep on my bedside dresser. I flicked it open. He then came out from my side of the bed and ran. I knew it was him 100% because the hallway light was on. I saw his face as he left the room. I chased him, but he got away before I even made it to the door. We called the police and gave them the full story and everything that happened. Nothing was stolen, and no one was, per se, harmed. The police looked around and saw that he had climbed in from the window in the bathroom right across the hall. We pressed charges, and he was caught five days later, hiding out in an old house. He was in prison for two years. I now sleep with a gun close enough to grab it. But... To my wife's ex, please let's not meet again because I'll have a few words I'd like to share. This happened in 2004. During that time, I was working at a restaurant in the financial district of my town. I was 20 years old and living on my own for the very first time. The job was stressful, fast-paced, and highly demanding. We were all criminally unpaid. But I didn't really mind because I was thrilled to be on my own and employed so that I could support myself and pay my bills. However, as a typical result of this type of work environment, there was a very high staff turnover rate. My coworkers were from all walks of life 
and were all quite a variety of characters. The most memorable one is also one who still sends chills down my spine, even though it was over 15 years ago. We'll call him D. He was hired as a line cook. That was probably the job in the restaurant that had the most quitters. Luckily, he didn't work there for long. Forgive me if it's been a long time, but I am pretty sure that he only lasted a couple of months or so. D was friendly, calm, soft-spoken, and overall pretty much liked by everyone. Except me. I could never explain it to myself or to my co-workers who all thought that he was a nice guy. But he just gave me the fucking creeps. Even though he would be smiling while talking to you, his eyes just looked vacant. I couldn't help but feel threatened by him, even though he never actually said or did anything directly to me that would justify my dislike or distrust of him. D expressed interest in me to one of my coworkers. At the time, I had a boyfriend, and even if I didn't, he just wasn't my type and was almost 20 years older than me. Not to mention, the biggest factor was that he made me very uncomfortable every time we talked. Anyway, he was always asking questions, trying to find out stuff about me from my coworkers. And when he noticed I had a boyfriend, he eventually started poking around for information about him. One day, he invited me to a birthday party. He was throwing it for himself at his place. My very blunt and tactless 20-year-old self replied, with an immediate no. I quickly softened the reply by explaining that I had plans with my boyfriend that weekend. I did not. As always, he just stared with those dead, empty eyes and smiled. I can't remember his response, but he was pretty chill about it, and just backed off. No more was spoken of it, and honestly, I can't recall if he invited anyone else from work. Not too long after that, he quit the job and I never saw him again. I also eventually left to move out of state. Fast forward to 2005 and I no longer live in that city. But I am still keeping in touch with two of my co-workers who became close friends. One of them calls me and starts freaking out. She tells me to check out the local news in that city because D is all over it. It turns out He's on the run and wanted for a triple homicide and one attempted murder. The worst part is, the victims were his family, including children. They were his sister, 11-year-old niece, and nephew. He tried to kill the 9-year-old nephew. However, he survived and was able to call 911 and identify him as the murderer. What prompted the brutal murder? He had a fight with his sister over a $20 bill. They were each repeatedly stabbed at least 10 times. This person was capable of not only killing children, but doing it so violently and savagely. It makes me sick to my stomach thinking about it, and that I worked and interacted with this monster every day for a brief period of my life. I don't even want to think of what could have happened had he not accepted my rejection so breezily? Why was he trying to collect information about me behind my back?
I was living alone, young, with very little real-world experience, and still quite vulnerable, even though at the time I thought I was tough. I'm pushing 40 now, and I look back on my 20-year-old self and I'm very thankful that my toughness was never tested in such a way. I realize how fortunate I am that he left me alone once I said no. He was eventually found and taken into custody a couple of months later. Thankfully, he will most likely spend the rest of his life in prison. I would like to end this story with a reminder to those listening. Always trust your instincts regarding the people who come in and out of your life. Always trust your instincts, even when they contradict with what you see in front of you, like I did with this seemingly harmless coworker. Because appearances are deceiving. Also, don't be afraid to say no and turn down that date if they attempt to court you. One other thing I learned after his arrest, he was previously convicted of sexual crimes in my city. So yeah, fuck trying to be nice and follow what your gut tells you. To the vicious killer of women and children who wanted to date me, let's never meet again. This story happened about two years ago. I feel like a lot of young girls and women have a similar story. However, this particular experience has stuck with me for the last two years and it's always bothered me. I live in Canada, in a fairly upper-class urban area of my city. Growing up downtown and being able to walk to school and go around the neighborhood young, I racked up quite a bit of experience in dealing with unwanted attention from men and general harassment. It's scary at the time, but it's the kind of thing, for me at least, that I would just go home and get over. Because if I didn't, then I'd probably be upset and scared all of the time, every time that I left the house. I don't like living like that, so I've never let those kinds of fears stop me from going out. However, this one experience has very much changed how I live my life. I want to say this was in May or June. I was in my senior year of high school and I remember it being warm outside. My family has a small shih tzu named Gidget that we walk about three or four times a day. However, one of those walks is at night, so my dad would sometimes take it and sometimes either me or my sister. My neighborhood is urban, but the further you go down, the more residential streets, the quieter it gets. And as my dog gets stressed out from the sounds of cars, and there's a bit too much foot traffic to walk here more downtown, we always walk her inwards to the residential area. On this particular night, it was my turn to walk the dog. I had a pair of chunky Beats headphones that I used all the time, and I put them on and started to walk her. It was about 10 p.m., and it was completely dark outside aside from the streetlights. And oddly enough, Nobody else was on the street. There were a few cars driving around, though. I usually see the other dog walkers, but on this night, I didn't. Just a few blocks from my house, there are two elementary schools next to each other, both with large parks. Sometimes kids play there at night, but mostly during the afternoon. This night was completely different. 
As I walked closer to the schoolyard along the sidewalk, I noticed a car parallel parked on the curb. It had its lights off, and I couldn't see if there was anyone inside of the car. I thought this was weird because that kind of parking was only allowed for small amounts of time, not overnight, as well as all the houses in that area have their own driveways, so it couldn't have been a residence car. So then I thought maybe they were picking their kid up from an extracurricular activity at school, but 10 p.m. seemed kind of late. Also, there were no other cars parked around it, and the school looked completely closed for the night. So I just assumed some idiot parked their car in a hurry, and didn't know that they would probably be ticketed. In my head, I thought, case closed, and I walked past it and let my dog sniff on the lawn about 10 meters ahead of the car. Immediately when I stopped to let my dog relieve herself, I was blinded by the car's high beams, which suddenly turned on and flashed in my face. I couldn't see anything, but I knew immediately that there must be someone in that car. Not really knowing what to do, I turned to face the car and the bright lights and just stared at it. If this was some random person, I wanted to let them know that they were creeping me out and to turn their high beams off. The worst case scenario, if it was a creep, I wanted him to know that I was very aware of what was going on, even though I knew it was a futile defense. If this person really did have bad intentions, what good would that do? I'm completely alone. Nobody else is around, and he has a vehicle. I decided to just keep walking down the street, listening to some true crime, and I assumed that it was finally catching up to me, and I was becoming paranoid. I removed my headphones at this point because I was too freaked out to listen to anything and I wanted to be able to hear the car from behind if it started moving. Just as I began moving, I began to hear the hum of the vehicle slowly creeping behind me. At this point, my stomach dropped and I immediately remember feeling a burst of anxiety and slight panic. So I sped up a little bit. My dog normally likes running, but on this day, she just wasn't having it. So I kept in pace with her and what I would say was equivalent to speed walking or power walking. I'm not sure what it's actually called. I understand that some cars can take a bit of time to speed up and pull out from the curb, but when I looked back, the car was still flush with the curb and keeping pace with me. I kept thinking, why isn't this car just pulling away and driving off? Obviously, I knew the answer, but I really didn't want to come to terms with the fact that this person was following me. I kept hoping that I was just misunderstanding. The next move I decided to make was to cross the street. This way, I wasn't on the passenger side, so he couldn't pull me in. I also decided to walk the opposite direction of before and walk back towards my house. So I crossed the street, and as I did that, the car stopped for a moment, then pulled into a driveway next to me. At that moment, I got to see the person's face. It was a man. He looked to be in his late 30s, maybe 40s, with a pale blonde, receding hairline. He was drinking a Red Bull. But then he pulled back out of the driveway, so he was now close to the curb that I was on, and he was now facing and driving in the direction I was going again. He kept the same pace as he did across the street, just right behind me, creeping up the street. At that moment, I decided that I was in danger, that this wasn't just my imagination, and I started running as fast as I could towards my house. 
The car sped up, still riding the curb, and my dog wasn't going fast enough, so I picked her up and started sprinting. Luckily, my house wasn't very far, and my dog isn't very heavy. So I turned into my driveway, opened the door, locked it, and immediately went to the front window. What I saw really, really disturbed me. The car had stopped directly outside of my house, and the man was looking at my house. He waited, then slowly drove off. I knew the man was following me at that moment and that I wasn't crazy. I called the police after that and gave them a description of the man and told them to look out for someone in that area. Just because he wasn't successful with me doesn't mean he wouldn't drive off to look for another girl. After all, he had that energy drink to keep him alert and awake. After it happened, I ran through a million scenarios in my head of what this person could have wanted with me. All disgusting, and I guess I'll never really know the answer because I haven't heard anything about this man or seen him since. But this experience has made me always keep one headphone off or earbud out. And I practically jump every time a car slowly moves near me if I'm alone. Sometimes I'll check the police wanted website to look for this man to see if he's been identified. And as a journalism student, I read the news quite frequently and always wonder if I'll see his face. He left me with no answers, but a lot of issues when it comes to walking alone at night or near parked cars. So to the creepy man who followed me in his car, let's not meet. This happened in my early 20s. I'm in my late 30s now. It was probably 2006. I am a male. I lived in England, and I was into long-distance motorcycle touring. I had spent several months touring Canada and the western U.S. on a bike that I bought over there and had done a transcontinental loop around Europe. My friend said that she would like to come on a couple of weeks' trip around Europe on her bike one April, and I simply said, okay, and booked the time off. She was a newly qualified doctor and struggling to get time off on short notice. So I ended up with the prospect of another solo motorcycle trip. Coincidentally, a female friend of mine living in Germany Facebooked me. She was trying to surprise her parents by making a visit back to the UK on her parents' birthday. She didn't have the money for a flight home. No sweat. I got a couple of weeks off and a motorcycle seat with your name on it. You don't even have to pay for fuel. I was going to do the trip anyway. That's how I was back then, I guess. I had no ties. I paid minimal rent. I had a job. No car. Just my bike. I had an easygoing attitude, though. Besides, now my trip had an objective. I was helping someone out. I ride to Frankfurt, and I spend a couple of days with my friend. Then we head back together. The trip is going okay. We head south and end up somewhere in a German national park. And it was there in that small, rural German village slash town, that the story goes awry. It's about 5 o'clock in April, so we don't have long to find a place to camp. Now we have left a bit late. The town is small. Maybe it's somewhere nearby, but to be honest, I don't remember the name of the place anymore. We ride up to the only pub. We go in. It's small, 
with six patrons seated. Everyone there is male and 60 plus. And we're in rural Germany with older folk, which means English isn't going to work here. But that's okay. I have some pidgin Deutsch and my friend is fluent in German. Somehow, we get separated as I order something non-alcoholic because we haven't drunk anything all day whilst my friend sits at the table. The locals are talking to her whilst one local is talking to me. He speaks in nice, slow, easy German. And thank God. Where are you from? What's your motorcycle? Where are you going? And me being me, I just think he's curious and I'm happy to talk to him. He asks about my girlfriend, and I say, no, we're not together. He seems very pleased with this. He says something to his friends, now crowding around my friend, and there's some mirth. I assume some joke, like, she's single, all yours, guys. No real red flags, just friendly humor. I ask if there's somewhere nearby that I can stay, and he says yes. He says he has a place. I'm not clear if he actually lives there, but it's a place he owns. He says that we're welcome to go there. This is the address. He writes it down for me and gives us directions, as these are pre-Google Maps days. He says that he'll pay us a visit later. My friend suddenly seems to be really trying to secretly get my attention. I excuse myself and she quietly says to me that these men are getting too familiar with her. This is an important fact about my friend. She's gay, so that's reason number one that we're not together, and another reason why she especially isn't comfortable with this. She said quietly to me that one of these guys commented on her breasts, and then he stroked her arm. I could tell she was getting a bit freaked out, or angry, or both. I didn't see this happen because I was distracted by the quote-unquote friendly guy, but I could not discount this as her being a bit overdramatic. She is one for drama. I get up and say, let's go, then waved to the friendly guy as well as the old pervs and went out to the bike. The two of us discussed staying at this guy's place. After her experience at the bar, I don't think she was a fan. For my part, I had repeatedly experienced the kindness of strangers on my travels and slept in the houses of people that I had just met. I caught rides with them, etc., so I was indifferent to the idea of sleeping in a house of someone that I had just met, who incidentally kept company with a group of old creepy men. Again, no red flags. We rode to the house. It was a nice house, very well built and maintained, on a quiet cul-de-sac. Very quiet. It was a leafy little town in spring, and yet there was no birdsong, and it was dusk slash nesting time. It was eerie, and of course nobody was around. The house was only set back from the road about 30 yards up an incline. It was well fenced, so it was particularly hidden from the road, but the gates were already open, so I rode on up. We got off the bike, then we had a look around for the door. As it turned out, the door was at the back of the house, no front door. Odd. We rang the bell, no answer. Rang it again, and no answer again. Maybe it's broken, so we knock. We call out, hello? Nothing. But the door was unlocked, so we just opened it. As we entered this completely random house, 
red flags are starting to appear on the horizon. Yes, I would be the first dead guy in a horror movie I know. Now that's not too crazy. It occurred to me that our good Samaritan would be along later, and he hadn't given us a key, so of course, if nobody was there, it was going to be unlocked. Duh. This was a German rural village, and he was very old. He just probably never locked his door, I told myself. This was a basement. Now again, that's not unusual in Germany. Housing is expensive, and renovating parts of houses, attics, basements, etc., for living out of, for elderly parents to move into, is not unusual. What was unusual about his basement was that it was a bona fide, self-contained house. It had really recently been renovated. It was untouched. It had all of the fittings, furniture, and touches of a house. But something was amiss. All the doors were fire doors, the heavy type that seal really well. The walls were all cast concrete. I mean, nice and polished concrete, but I would expect walls inserted into a basement to be framed and drywalled. It was built like Fort Knox. Everything was laid out as though it was a hotel. Everything was immaculately clean. Rug placement was perfect. Not a towel out of place. No personal items like photos or toothbrushes or shampoo. No clothes in the closet. Nobody lived here. Yet, it isn't a hotel guest house either. The furniture is European modern and minimalist. However, there were no windows. The ceiling was lower than the usual stud height. Hey, it's a basement. So it did feel a bit close. It was echoey due to the entire structure being stone and concrete. It also wasn't brightly lit. There was this faint hum, which I now believe to be the ventilation unit fan, as the complex would have probably been airtight otherwise. The only personal items in the house was the artwork on the wall. It all seemed to be of cubism style, think Picasso, of an overtly sexual nature. And then we go to the bedroom. It was a huge room. Oddly for a bedroom, there were no cupboards or a desk or a chair. Where do you put your clothes? No bedside table for your book, a watch, or an alarm clock? It was so sparse. But there were mirrors along two opposing walls that weren't mirror doors for a wardrobe, just wall-length mirrors that gave you that eerie, infinite reflection effect when you look between them. And in the middle of this sparse room was a super king-size bed with another huge mirror for a headboard. And on the back of the door, you guessed it, another mirror. My friend looked to me to call it. I finally called it. I think all I said was, this isn't right. Let's go. You have to be stabbing me with a red flag in the eye before I see it sometimes. The sun had gone below the horizon, but there was still a bit of light. There was no drama leaving. We rode a little out of town until I saw a dirt road going to a farmer's field with a densely wooded road border. We rode down the dirt road 
and then off into the trees and set up camp. It finally got dark. We got straight into our sleeping bags and didn't eat, saying that we'd just spin big on breakfast tomorrow. I actually was hiding from the local men and was mindful that the fire might give us away, but I didn't mention it to my friend because I didn't want her to worry even more. Late at night, I hear a car engine come down the dirt road a little ways. I could see creeping tree shadows on the tent wall, but I knew the headlights must have been quite some distance. It could have been the farmer that lived here, but they're not going home. They've just stopped with the engine running. I kept a knife on me, and I was on the door side of the tent. I looked at my friend. Amazingly, she was sleeping through all of this. I slowly unzipped the inner door, quietly. Then I slowly and quietly unzipped the outer door. I crawled into the bag stowage next to the tent under the canopy. It was a porch area. If I heard them get out of the car, and or footsteps approaching close, I was going to confront them. But the car stayed where it was, just maybe 40 yards away. I stayed under the canopy and didn't move. No car doors opened or closed. The car lingered for another 30 seconds. And then the creepiest moment of all. I heard the driver call from the car window in a hushed, mockingly playful tone in German. Where are you? Then laughing before reversing away. To summarize, creepy old German dudes that lure travelers into their sordid fantasy house and then hunted us in the night when we left? Let's not meet. Oh, but I still prefer to believe in the kindness of strangers. Hi, my name is Shannon. I'm 24 years old and I'm from Australia. This happened a few years ago when there were people dressing up as clowns and scaring the shit out of people when the new remake of It, the Pennywise Clown, came out. I would have been 17 or 18 at this time. My family and I decided to go down our block of land up in Gippsland Way. So about three hours away from my house. We normally go there for a weekend and go motorbike riding, have a few drinks, and then make a bonfire. It's our sort of getaway from home type thing. Even to this day, we still go down there every few weeks to get away from the city life and all the drama, especially during COVID times. Now, back to the story. One weekend, my family and some of their friends decided to go to the property. We left Friday at lunchtime and didn't get there until late afternoon at about 4.30 or 5 p.m. As soon as we got there, we unpacked the cars and set up our tents. We did everything else before going on our first ride before it got dark. After we all went for a ride, we all gathered around the fire drum and had dinner and a few drinks until we called it a night and went to bed. A few hours went by, and of course I woke up needing to go to the bathroom. I got out of my tent, got my shoes on, and grabbed my phone to use for light 
then went to the hole where we did our business. Now, wherever you need to go to the toilet, you can always hear animals through the bush, like sticks breaking and bushes being crushed or stomped on. Sometimes those noises can make you a little scared, especially if you're out alone and going to the toilet. Anyway, as I was done doing my business, I went to go wash my hands, and as I was done, something told me to look around the surrounding area. As I was shining my phone light around the bushes, there was a tall, dark figure standing in the next property beside us about 50 feet away. At first I thought it was my older brother playing some joke to scare me, because he knows that I don't like clowns at all. So I yelled out, Ha ha, Chris, very funny. And then I began to walk away. As I was going back to my tent, my brother Chris got out of his tent and was walking past. I said, Are you going to the toilet again? With a little giggle. He looked at me funny and said, He only just got up and hasn't left his tent until now. As soon as he said that, I had a cold chill going down my spine, but I just brushed it off and told myself that my eyes must have been playing tricks on me as I climbed back into my bed. About ten minutes later, as I slowly got back to sleep, I heard this sinister laughter coming from behind the tent. I shot up like a rocket. I was freaking out. I yelled to my brother who was only a few feet away from me and asked him, Is that you? There was no reply back. He was snoring his head off. Again, I heard the laughter. It happened for most of the night. I was frozen and couldn't go out to check. Now that morning while everyone was awake, I was telling everyone what happened and they laughed it off, thinking I was making it up or that my brother was just being a smartass and scaring me after me trying to convince them that there was something or someone on our property making those creepy laughing noises. My dad, brother, and I went out to have a look to see if there were any traces of someone being there. As we were looking around in the bush and the dirt, our hearts sank when we saw footprints about 100 feet away from the tent. I don't want to think what would have happened if I did leave the tent to check it out. Even to this day, I still get paranoid about being at the property. So to that creepy person hiding in the bush with that disturbing laugh, let's never meet again. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. And if you're looking to get your true paranormal fix, as always, check out my show, Odd Trails. We just released a new episode this week, right along with Let's Not Meet. This week you have heard Backyard Creeper by Jess. X with a Death Wish by Blue. Trust Your Instincts by Nienor. The Creepy Man Who Followed Me in His Car by Emily. Creepy Clown Dude Scares Me by Shannon. And finally, That Time My Friend and I Escaped a Sex Hovel by Yorkshire Mud Pie. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast 
is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. And as always, if you have a story to share, send it over to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. I wanted to share an email that a listener sent to me recently. She writes, My sister told me today how a lady approached her at Target last week, asking about my nephew. My sister said that he was one. The lady advised that she had twins, and they didn't have a playmate. She asked my sister for her number, and of course, she gave it to her. They chatted for a bit, and then my sister and nephew left. She said that the lady had been texting her all weekend, then asked her if they could meet up. My sister was going to meet her at Panera, as the lady suggested, but she had a red flag because the lady never even mentioned anything about kids on the planned meetup, or which Panera they would be meeting at. As soon as she told me, I told her not to go. I told her all of the times that I heard about this happening on your show, and not to meet. My sister was surprised, but thankful. She said that the lady was so nice and unsuspecting, although the lady was a bit pushy about wanting to meet which was another red flag for her, but she still put it in the back of her mind. I'm so thankful that she told me about everything before she went and met up with this woman. Thanks to you and your listeners for potentially saving my sister and my nephew. I think the lesson here and from many of the stories in the podcast is trust your gut. It may have been harmless, but when something's telling you there could potentially be danger, just listen to that voice. If you're a patron, don't forget to stick around after the music for your extended ad-free and now higher bitrate version of this week's episode. We have a surprise guest and a longer-than-usual episode for you guys. I think you're really going to enjoy it. If you want to get access, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast today to support the show. I'll see you all next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Stay safe. This week's Patreon extended version of Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast, we have Xbox Stalkers. Neighborhood creep.